0: um, to all those out in, in, on zoom world or on YouTube. It's so good, uh, to be with you all. Uh, I could think of nothing better than to be able to introduce today, Dr. Mike Hutchins. He's been with us before. I count him as a personal friend and, um, I know he's going to bring a wonderful word. He's, uh, he, he, he travels with Dr. Randy Clark and, uh, ministers all over. He's got a specialty in uh, ministering on trauma, and I know God's put a word on his heart. So, Mike, we want to welcome you, and so glad to have you. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for anointing Mike, Dr. Mike, this day to bring forth the word. God, I thank you that uh, in these trying seasons where people are experiencing trauma on so, so many levels that you are bringing a healing word, and I thank you for uh your servant mike who you're using in this day in this hour we just ask His your your blessing on him as we receive him in the name of the lord welcome mike how are you hey bill i'm doing
1: great it's so good to be with all of you today and uh bill and tammy especially i'm so happy that you're recovering from covid um i did a lot of traveling this summer and thought man i'm golden i've been in hot spots i've been I was in Tennessee and Oklahoma City and Virginia and different places and they were all hot spots and i was just great and then we opened up our school of ministry here in Mechanicsburg uh in September and although we did masks we did temperature checks we did you know we did all the social distancing and everything like that uh, uh we had a pretty good spread among our our second year students in particular and uh Um, we, by the time uh, the Voice of the Apostles conference, which is always one of our largest conferences, um, happens, we had chosen to go ahead and, and have that conference. And about a week before that, I started getting the symptoms, body aches, headaches, extreme exhaustion. I'm thankful that's all I really, uh, experienced. I really didn't have high fevers, although I felt feverish. Uh, but then I couldn't go to Voice of Apostles. We kind of shut down our school, went all online. Uh, for a couple of weeks and now we're back in session again. But, um, you know, you, you, you think, Oh, I'm, I'm strong. I'm not going to get this, you know, uh, but I've had some great, great friends who have been in the hospital, have been on ventilators, who've been on oxygen and things like that and have taken quite a bit of time, uh, to get it as well. They're, they're, they're recovered now. Um, and I'm thankful that all my family is recovered as well. So it is always a joy to be with you guys at Life Center. I've only been with you in person one time, but I think this is the second um, or third uh, Zoom call we've had, maybe the second one. And uh, I love uh, what God is doing with you guys there in New York City. I love uh not only that you're a church, but that you're a house of prayer and that you're a father's house. Indeed, the word of God says, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And that's that's what you guys are. So uh, it's just a privilege and a joy to come to you today and bring a great word to you. Uh, we're going to be really candid about, uh, and I'm going to be very vulnerable and honest about what I think is happening, what I sense from the Lord is taking place. Um, I want to say to you that it's okay to not know all that God is doing right now, but what we do know is that God is uh, getting ready to unleash, and I believe it's already happening, the billion-soul harvest that we've been praying into. And uh, that indeed, this may be the church's setup to launch into that in a way like we've never seen before. So, so um, here's what I want to do. I want to pray again real quick. Then if you have questions about anything that I'm sharing, I'm going to give a few minutes at the end. And if Colt, Uh, who has always done an amazing job for me, at least uh, in terms of navigating those questions. We'll take some questions, and then I know you'll, you'll go into your small groups. Just pray with me right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this amazing group of sons and daughters, disciples of Jesus Christ, that have positioned themselves to be part of what you are doing, God, in New York City. Father, I thank you that it is the hub of not only finances, but is the hub of influence, not just for America, but for the entire world. So, Father, I thank you that you have literally positioned Life Center New York City to be in the very heart of the financial district, but I realize that people come from all over the city. Father, I declare that just like the Roman church that was positioned in a in a place of influence in the city of Rome. I declare that you are expanding and increasing the influence of Life Center in New York City. Today, Father, as we uh, just talk about the trauma of the season that we're living in right now, I thank you, God, that you are greater than any demonic spirit that would seek to wound us, hurt us in any way. As a matter of fact, I plead the blood of Jesus over every person that's on the Zoom cast over their families, over their homes. In every way, I just plead the blood of Jesus and I cancel the assignment of the spirit of trauma, the spirit of torment, the spirit of fear, I cancel the spirit of uh, any kind of feeling of anxiety, depression, uh, any kind of uh, lies of suicide or wanting to end our lives. I cancel every one of those assignments in Jesus' name. And I just declare right now, for no distractions during this time, I know we have kids in the house and that's not a problem, uh, but we just declare the name, name of Jesus for healing and restoration for every person on this call and that you're raising up an army of heart healers and chain breakers in the name of Jesus, I pray. So today we're going to take a look at a few scriptures. So whether you've got your your actual physical Bible out like I do or um, an iPad or iphone or knee pad or whatever you read your bible on let's uh let's take a look at romans chapter eight uh you and i along with the rest of the entire world are living in the midst of a pandemic traumatic bubble in that the entire world not just america but the entire world is impacted by this pandemic that started coming on to uh, our sh- our shores, at least, in February of this year. Of course, it had brought infection into other parts of the world. I'm not here today to get into origins, where the pandemic came from, or anything like that, uh, but you have to understand that for us, in America at least, that 2020 was going to be a year of a lot of unrest, uh, a lot of Uh, uncertainty and some real difficulties that have actually piled up upon themselves because we're in the middle of a presidential election year. And as you know, in America, presidential election years have a tendency to bring division. They have a tendency to just get people very anxious. You know, it doesn't make any difference which side of the political spectrum that you're on uh either one side is anxious and worried that uh the, the current the current administration is is going to lose or the other side is worried and anxious about that the those that want the current administration out that, that they're going to lose and so there's all this anxiety worry almost panic that's built up and it's like it has exacerbated itself tremendously just with the presidential election alone. On top of that, you put on top of that what we have seen is the trauma of seeing particularly African-American males being uh, brutalized, being uh, killed by police officers. And that has not only stirred up a response that was unlike uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's response to those kind of events in the '60s, but has actually has seen the uh, the bringing forth of unrest, the bringing forth of of riots and looting, and certainly you in New York City have seen this tremendously. You've seen the literally the fear that your streets have become unsafe particularly in the evenings, uh, because of the kind of group, the, the the protests are okay. There's nothing wrong with protests, but when there are those that have an agenda to bring forth violence, <clears throat> looting, and and physical harm to people, then that creates an entire, another level of trauma, where you don't feel safe on your streets, you barely feel safe in your own homes, And what's happening with many in the African-American community is the repeated showings of African-Americans being brutalized by police authorities is actually stirring up a generational trauma in people. This is something that's embedded literally in DNA. It's a cellular memory where the experience of African-Americans in particular in this country, it's. It's also true for other people of color, but specifically for African-Americans, where they feel a generational trauma rising up in them and they're responding in ways because guess what? We have an Internet now. We have a 24 hour news cycle where these videos are played over and over and over and over again. And they do something to us. They wound us. They they create um, narratives in our minds. that cause us to react in ways that, that sometimes we wouldn't normally react. And then finally, there's the pandemic. And the pandemic is this traumatic event that is ongoing. You know, if you have one event like, um, like a plane crash, that happens in a second. And although people, uh, it, it's a horrific thing, uh, even with 9-11, although it was a, an event that happened in one day, The effects of it lasted for a long time, but what we have here is we have going on in our country right now a prolonged traumatic event where people are not only afraid of the virus coming and knocking on their door, they have a tendency to get very anxious and worried about what's going on right now. Loss of income, loss of of jobs, possibly loss of housing, a loss of freedom that's taking place. But then the other side of it is, is the fear and anxiety that takes place. What's going to happen next? What's coming next? What is the next you to drop? You know, uh, um, at the beginning of this year, uh there was this thing that came out on the uh, Internet about the possibility of murder hornets uh invading the United States. And, of course, right after that, the pandemic hit. I saw somebody post a meme that said, what happened to the murder hornets? I feel like we missed the murder hornets. Well, thank God I haven't met any murder hornets in my yard. So I'm, I'm good with that. The bottom line is, is that all of this piles on to us, whether we're believers or not, and it affects us. You know, trauma is that feeling that life is out of control. Trauma is something that happens when we experience an event where we experience something, either we witness it or it happens to us personally, that actually wounds our soul. We've talked uh, on the last time I was with all of you about post-traumatic stress disorder and how that's a diagnosis given by psychiatrists in the psychological community for those people that uh, exhibit a number of symptoms that you can actually say, okay, this person is dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. I really don't like the diagnosis at all, uh, because what it implies is that you have a mental problem. There's a, there's a mental disorder that's happening with you. When the reality is the biblical worldview of experiencing trauma is that you, it, does something to your soul. It shatters your soul to such an extent that you're, the way that you think is affected, your mind, the way that you feel, your emotions are affected. Now, all, What I'm sharing with you are the parts of the soul that we understand that God has shown us how we're constructed. So it's the mind, it's the emotions, it's your will, the, the ability to make right choices is affected. And trauma also affects your identity because when you experience trauma, one of the primary lies of the evil one is that this bad thing happened to me because of who I am and there must be something wrong with me. So some of the primary emotions that you can feel if you carry unresolved trauma is that you carry shame. And shame says... There's something bad about me. There's something wrong with me. There's something that inherent in who I am. There's something bad about who I am. That's why this happened to me. Another emotion is guilt. Guilt says you did something bad. Therefore you're being punished. So we look at trauma sometimes as punishment from God, uh, because of the lie of guilt. And then finally the, There's many emotions, but three top ones. The third one is condemnation. And condemnation says you'll never change. You're condemned to be this way. Well, guys, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom, is that shame, guilt, and condemnation were all covered under the cross of Jesus Christ when he shed his blood for our sins for our iniquity, for our transgression, so that shame, guilt, and condemnation would no longer be ours in Jesus' name. Now, I want to take you into a passage uh, of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, where he literally begins this passage of Scripture, verse 1, with just an amazing statement. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What that declares to you and I is that no matter what our life situation, our life circumstance, whether it's something personally that we're living in, like our dear brother shared about, um, you know, giving of your finances, even in the midst of a moment where. Our finances may be hindered. We may be wondering if there's another, uh, any other help coming. Uh, it may be because you've experienced sickness yourself. You've been isolated. What, whatever that personal life experience is. And then on top of that, you see what's known as collective trauma. That is what our entire country, what our community is going through right now. All of that has a tendency to message to us that something's bad about me, something's wrong about me. I've done something bad, therefore I'm being punished. Paul says if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation for you. There's no shame or guilt. You have nothing to feel bad about because of what Jesus Christ has already done for you. Now skip down to verse 14 if you would, in Romans chapter 8. And uh, this is such such an amazing passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I think Romans 8, you know, you like to have favorites. Romans 8 is like in my top five favorites of every, of every chapter in the Bible. Romans 8, verse 14, Paul writes, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, Leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out Abba, a Father now, ladies, let me say this to you. don't freak out that he says sons because guess what us men get called the bride of Christ, okay, so it's interchangeable it's okay. everybody smile <clears throat> it says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if we indeed suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is not, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, even if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together to good, for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but deliver him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Then he continues to talk about who's going to bring a charge against God's elect. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, including pandemics, will be able to separate us from the love of God, who is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That entire passage is so incredible, because what the Apostle Paul is saying, out of his own experiences, is that he understands That suffering is going to be part of the life that we live on this earth as sons and daughters of God. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but fear not, I have overcome the world. Now, if you line that scripture, that word from Jesus up with John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus isn't contradicting himself. He's saying that even in the midst of a world that is going to bring tribulation, that is going to bring suffering, that indeed you're going to see things like wars. You're going to see things like famines. You're going to see things like unrest. You're going to see kingdoms topple. You're going to see governments change. You're going to see hatred against people groups, you're going to see disease and sickness and death. In the midst of all of that, know this. I have already overcome all of that, so there is no reason for you to fear. You see, in in trauma, when we're experiencing trauma, which, by the way, all of us are experiencing in one way or another right now, every trauma that we experience actually opens a door of access. For the enemy be, to begin to lie to us about who we are, about what we're going through, and about either and the hopelessness of our situation. There is lots and lots of conversation on the internet, just among Christians alone, about whether or not the pandemic is the judgment of God, whether or not. You know, there's the, all that we're going through is, is God's judgment on us. I'm not here to, to answer that this morning. What I am here to say to you is that the very judgment of God on this earth that brings disease, that brings war, that brings all of that stuff is because mankind opened the door, humankind opened the door for the enemy of our soul to come in and to bring every every single thing that makes life miserable. It was done with God's permission because God gave dominion of this world to man. But it's the enemy that brings everything into this land, into this earth, whether it's a disease, whether it's hatred, whether it's war. Whatever that thing is that brings us trauma. And what trauma does when it opens that door of access to the enemy, the enemy lies to us. And literally it it comes primarily through a spirit of fear. A spirit of fear says, I'm not safe. I am not going to be okay. That God is not going to take care of me. So therefore I'm Hopeless, I'm in despair, I'm in a really, really bad place. Now Paul writes first of all in Second Timothy one seven, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We just read in Romans chapter eight verse fourteen that those who are children of God are led by the Spirit of God. And that we do not receive a spirit of fear that leads to slavery. But instead, we are given a spirit of adoption, which declares to us that we are part of the family of God. And our father, our papa, who takes such great care of us, he says, we're going to be okay. Now, because I've read mostly from Paul. I think it's really important that we see Paul's experience. Have you ever thought that Paul may actually have suffered with post-traumatic stress disorder himself? This is way before it was diagnosed. But if you'll take a look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to turn there with me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you understand that the context of this, of Paul writing this, is that this is a church that he planted. This is a church where he set in the leaders and then he moved on to more assignments. And it, there came some people that came into the church that he planted and began to denigrate his authority as the apostle and uh, began to question who he was. And what Paul is addressing here is that he's actually having to defend before the very people that he brought into the kingdom, defend his responsibility and his credentials as an apostle. And the scripture you're going to look at here is I, I title it apostolic suffering, in that if you're an apostle, one of the things you're going to deal with is significant suffering. On behalf of the gospel of the kingdom. So let's read, beginning at verse 21. To my shame I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness dangers on the sea dangers among false brethren i have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure apart from such external things there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches who is weak without my being weak who is led into sin without my intense concern I think Paul had some traumatic experiences in his life. I also think and know that those traumatic experiences led him to depend upon his father in a greater way than he ever had before. If you go to the next chapter, second Corinthians chapter 10 or second Corinthians 12 verse nine, you know that he's dealing with a thorn in the flesh. Many Bible commentators say it's a physical weakness. Others say that it was a person. I'm not here to debate that right now, but he was suffering from something that he called a thorn in the flesh. And as he cried out to God and there was no relief from this thorn in the flesh, this is the word of the Lord that came to him in second Corinthians 12, nine. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now gang, Let me say to you, I am not of the company that says that God puts cancer on you, that's put disease on you, that makes bad things happen in order to teach you a lesson. I don't believe that in any way, shape, or form. I do believe that God is in ultimate control, but he also gives the enemy permission to allow things to happen on this earth for this reason. He has called You and I, sons and daughters, to step into the authority that we have in Jesus Christ and to rule and reign and bring the dominion by which we were given all the way back in the garden through intercession, through prayer, but not just through intercession and prayer, also through actions of righteousness where we Heal the sick. We raise the dead. We cleanse the lepers. We cast out demons. We eat, bring food to the poor. We bring justice to those who have injustice. We bring healing and restoration and justice to the victims. We bring, in, we include and we welcome in the marginalized, the outcasts of our society. We become the literally the justice of God to a world that is full of injustice. And it's in those actions that we bring our dominion, that we bring our authority as those who co-labor with God in this moment. Now that, in no way, shape, or form does that keep us from being safe from trauma. As a matter of fact, it's pretty clear here. That Paul experienced significant amount amounts of trauma as he sought to fulfill his assignment as an apostle. Now, one of the things that you and I need to understand about what trauma does to us, to our soul, to our mind, our will, our emotions, and our identity is that first of all, when we're hurting when we're wounded because of what we're going through, we in America in particular are great at denial. You know, denial is not just a river in Egypt. It's literally the state of mind, particularly for men, but really for all people, where we say to ourselves in our Americanness, we say, I'm going to buck it up. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to be okay in the midst of this. The reality is that when you deny When you're hurting and wounded, you don't give a moment for the spirit of God to come and say, you know what? It's not my will that you're wounded and broken. I want to come and I bring I want to bring the power of my Holy Spirit, who is the great comforter to bring healing and restoration to you. You see, the one thing you need to understand about any unresolved trauma that you carry is that before Jesus On his way to the cross, as he was on that journey to the cross, he was given over by Pontius Pilate to Roman soldiers. And in that moment, he was taken to a whipping post and he was tortured with with a cat of nine tails that literally ripped the flesh off of his bones. He experienced such horrific trauma. That as once he, that was done, most people died during that form of torture. But he couldn't carry his cross the rest of the way, which they had to have Simeon come along and carry it for him. The point I want to make is this. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says in the King James Version, by the stripes that were on his body, we are healed. That's a nice, clean way of saying That Jesus' body was horrifically traumatized in a way that comes out, that it would come out of horror movies, literally. That's how awful he was traumatized. But it's by his trauma that our trauma is healed. When we deny the fact that we're wounded, that we're struggling with our emotions and with our thinking, we actually deny god the opportunity to bring healing and restoration to the shatteredness of our hearts david says in psalm 34:18 the lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit later on in psalm 147:3 the passion translation puts it this way god heals all shattered hearts and he and he binds up their wounds so understand that brokenheartedness means that your soul is shattered by what you've been going through. Now, what happens when you carry unresolved trauma, you get it. You you have some disillusionment because the, the next slide that comes at you is see if God loved you. He wouldn't let this thing happen. If God really cared for you, if there really was a God, then all this bad stuff wouldn't be happening. But it denies the truth. That we live in a world that's full of brokenness, of sin, of disease, of demons. And the reality is that even though we walk with God and there are angels around us, yes, we're subject to the tribulation of this world. In the midst of that, to get away from our pain, we begin to dissociate, that is, When we're in denial, we don't want to deal with the wounds of our heart. So then we begin to do things that help medicate our pain. So for instance, in this, in this traumatic moment that started in March, a lot of us have spent a ton of time on the internet. We've, we've completely gone through practically every movie and episode in Netflix, or in Prime Video, or in Hulu. And now we're completely bored because there's nothing else. We have, for those of us that are gamers, we've gone about to every level that we possibly could. Why? Well, not just because it's fun, but because we wanted to get away from the pain that we're suffering. Do you understand that most addictions that people carry in their life, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling, uh, food, whatever that addiction is, comes as a result of seeking to self-medicate the soul pain that you carry. And in the midst of that, we try to dismiss and say, well, you know, this is just the way life is. We, we begin to become hopeless. Guys, that was not Paul's attitude in Romans chapter 8. Or in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, his attitude was, I understand that I'm going through sufferings. But I do not allow the sufferings that I am going through to define who God is, to define who I am, or to define what is possible for me. Who God is, who I am, or what is possible for me. I know that my God in the the midst of the sufferings is an amazing father who loves me, who has adopted me into his family, and who only desires the best for me. Because of that, I know I've been adopted into his family. And I am now a son of a promise where I am not only somebody who is adopted into God's family, but I literally am a co-heir with Jesus. That is everything that Jesus gets, I get a share in so that no matter what my circumstances are my finances my health my family my job or the culture that i live in nothing changes in regard to my identity of who i am third i i understand that although i uh, god is my father although i am loved and i have a great identity that i'm going to go through difficult situations, then indeed, according to Romans 8, 28, God takes every difficult situation we go through and he actually uses it to our good. So listen to me, there is nothing that you have been through in this life that God can't take the broken pieces of your soul and of that situation and to form it into a beautiful thing for you to step out into. He's not saying that what happened to you is beautiful. What he is saying is that he can take that which is ashes and bring it into beauty. This is why Isaiah 61 is so significant for this moment. It says this simply. It's Jesus' messianic prophecy of which he quoted that prophecy to establish his ministry. And it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to the victimized, to the traumatized, to the poor, and to the marginalized. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to declare liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. To declare the favorable year of the Lord that is the year of Jubilee and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn Now watch this. This is a divine exchange to bring comfort to those who are full of mourning to bring the oil of joy or gladness to those who are in sorrow, to give a garland of beauty instead of ashes and to bring The mantle of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness so that then they will be called an oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You see, God, although God is glorified when you go through sufferings and difficulties. What glorifies God the most is when you live according to the identity of who you are. And if you just look at Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3, you go after receiving the good news, you go from being one who is poor and afflicted and traumatized and victimized and marginalized to be one who is now an oak of righteousness the planting of the lord that he may be glorified the glory do you understand i know you guys have had this teaching before is that glory in the hebrew literally means weightiness it means it means a weight that that is the the presence of god upon you But isn't it interesting that in the divine exchange in Isaiah 61, that he says, I'm going to give you a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. You see, unresolved trauma brings heaviness of soul. Many of you know, if you've gone to my Facebook page at God Heals PTSD, or go to my website, GodHealsPTSD.com, many of you have seen testimonies of people who've been healed of post-traumatic stress disorder. Let me say, over um, over the last six years, I personally have seen seen over 2,000 people receive healing from all the tra- all the symptoms of post-traumatic stress and trauma. And with all the people that I've trained, we've seen over 12,000 verified healings that is they've given us their testimonies of people who have been completely freed from all of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress and trauma but here's the point i want to make the glory of god is his weightiness but the opposite of that is the trauma the unresolved trauma that people carry that put a 2,000 pound, it feels like a 2,000 pound weight upon people. They feel like that they're weighed down by that which happened to them. When they receive the good news of Jesus Christ healing their broken heart and setting them free from the captivity of their trauma, they, they testify over and over again. It feels like 2,000 pounds of weight came off of me. So the good news I want to say to you is this. There's no changing the moment that we're in, except through intercession and prayer. I fully believe that as we agree with God, as we walk through the Lord's prayer, as we walk through the intercession, declaring over and over again, let heaven come to earth. That God is greater than any pandemic. He's greater than any racial injustice and unrest that's happening in our world right now. And he's greater than any presidential election that thank God, whatever the result will be over with in just a few weeks. Somebody give thanks to God for that here's the deal: God is not moved in any way shape or form by whatever need we might have, but he is moved by faith that if we understand that, according to the scripture in first, in first Peter, he declares. That everything we need to live a godly life has already been provided for us. Then therefore, as you bring your trauma to him, as you bring whatever brokenness, whatever emotions that you're feeling that you know are not of God, God is not only willing, but he is fully able to bring healing, restoration, freedom, and the shalom of God upon on you in jesus name so here's what i'm going to do i'm going to pray for every one of you right now on this broadcast and then if there's questions colt's going to give me some and i can go from there i don't know how much time we have here uh, left but if we don't have time for questions that's fine but i want everybody if you're on the zoom cast i want you to look at me open your eyes I want you to look at me and i want to pray for you i want to declare over you That you're an amazing child of a loving father in whom he is well pleased. That your circumstances and that your trauma do not speak to the reality of who you are in Jesus Christ. That indeed you are beloved, you are adopted, you are accepted. and That in Jesus' name you have nothing to fear. I'm going to declare this over you. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. You have a sound mind because you have the mind of Christ. Therefore you think God's thoughts and you are not going crazy. That is the thoughts and the emotions that have been caused by all of this traumatic bubble are not part of who you really are in Jesus name. But by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, I break the power of shame, of guilt, and condemnation over you. That plead the blood of Jesus that effectively cancels out those three primary negative emotions that the enemy has been warring against you. I also sever in the name of Jesus every assignment of the evil one. The spirit of trauma, the spirit of torment, the spirit of fear. The spirit of anxiety and depression. I bind all of those up by the power, by the chains of the blood of Jesus Christ, and I sever their assignment from lying to you any further in Jesus name. I also address the spirit of suicide, the spirit of anger and rage, and the spirit of hopelessness and despair that's captivated some of you and in the name of jesus i declare the suicidal thoughts are not from you they're from a demonic spirit that's trying to steal kill and destroy the dream of god for your life as well as the hopeless and despairing thoughts i bind them up in jesus name and i sever them right now by the power of the blood of jesus christ i declare over you that jesus christ is healing your shattered soul and i just want you to take your hands like this this is Although we were doing this in Zoom, but we're going to do it anyway. Take your hands like this and look at your shattered soul being in there, all the pieces. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, in the name of Jesus, Father, I give you my shattered soul. I ask you, Father, to heal my mind. Heal my will. Heal my emotions. And restore my identity. Restore me. Back to the original dream. That you had for me. When you first thought of me. Holy Spirit. Come and fill every area. In my mind, in my will, in my emotions, and in my identity that has been captivated or influenced by trauma. Holy Spirit, fill me with your love, your peace your joy and I receive the covenant promise and blessing of Shalom over my life, over my family and all that I love. Thank you that it's your desire for me to be whole in Jesus name. Amen. All right, Cole.
2: All right. I've got a few questions for you, Mike. So, um, the first one is, uh, for those who have had COVID or have COVID, you know, there is a, a measure of shame that people have expressed you know, in, I mean, you had it like in, in having it. So how would you recommend that we best deal with that stigma and that shame attached with having COVID with, with maybe like, you know, getting it, but also spreading it.
1: Okay. So first of all, the Jesus came into a religious culture, that said if you were sick, if you were deformed, if you were handicapped in some way, that you were cursed, and that there was something wrong about you because they, they literally equated sick, sin and sickness. Look guys, we have human bodies. We don't have robotic Android bodies. We have human bodies that are subject to the viruses and the bacteria and all of that, that we, that is part of this world. This is why we wash our hands. This is why we try to stay away from people who have the colds or flu or whatever. So just because you've gotten COVID doesn't mean that you did something wrong. It doesn't mean that that's the whole point of, of Paul's discussion in Romans eight and second Corinthians 11. It's not because you've been in sin. Let me say this. Having COVID is not a sin. It doesn't say that you lack faith. It just simply means that you were around somebody that got that. got. You know, we've never had thought about this. How You've all had colds before, right? You've all had flu before, right? I mean, we've all had that. So why all of a sudden is COVID becoming that thing that we feel shame about? It's It's guys, let me say to you, be free from any kind of shame. And if you accidentally spread it, you didn't do it on purpose. So there's no sin in that. Even if you were a little foolish or even if you felt like me, that you were golden and you were never going to get it. That's that's just foolishness. And that's why I I I mean, I don't know about you guys, but my life is a constant prayer of repentance before God. Not that I think that I'm full of sin. But I always want God to change the way that I think about who I am and what I'm doing. So uh, I know the Lord loves me, but I believe repentance is a gift from him. So I break the power of shame off of every one of you that have had COVID in Jesus' name. Don't listen to the lie that somehow you did something wrong and that's why you got sick. I cancel that. I break the power of that lie in Jesus' name. And I said, be at peace. Receive the Father's love. It's not a punishment for me. I'm in Jesus name.
2: All right. That's good. So I've got, I've got another question here and it pertains specifically to prayers for protection. So Psalm 91, which many of us pray. Um, How do you square Psalm 91 with the fact that we can encounter harm and people do encounter harm that are, you know, under the blood of Jesus?
1: Yeah. Um, If you've ever read the book, um, The Essential Guide to Healing by Buck Johnson and Randy Clark, one of the things that they go into significantly in that book, I just froze up. There we go. One of the things that they go into is the mystery of, first of all, why Christians get sick and why a lot of Christians don't get healed when we pray for them. What I know is this. Is that I believe that we are much more protected from things than what we realize. What I, what I believe is that we have a protection around us that even though we are still subject, our bodies are still subject to things that happen in this world, there is obviously uh, a mystery here. One of the things you have to understand about The kingdom of God mindset, which is the very first teaching that I teach at Global School of Supernatural Ministry. I take I take four hours to teach on what it means to have a kingdom mindset. And the kingdom mindset is not an either or, but it's a both and proposition. That indeed, there can be two truths that are intentioned together, their intention. And. They may seem contradictory at the face of it, but the reality is, is that in the kingdom of God, that, that this can be true, but you have to weigh it against this piece as well. I pray Psalm 91 over myself and my family on a regular basis. And because of that, I believe that we are being protected by many things. Don't let That which you feel like you haven't been protected from. Destroy your faith. Or as a lot of folks are doing these days, they're deconstructing their faith. They're tearing their faith apart because God hasn't answered a prayer the way they think they ought to be answered. This is why Jesus kept saying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Trust God, even in the midst of what seems to be unanswered prayers, trusting his goodness, his faithfulness and his character that he is there and he will according to Romans 8:28 again, he'll work all things together for good to those who love God. I wish I had this answer, guys. I, I wish that I could say to you I'm I'm wiser than all of my friends, uh but even all of my friends who've been doing this a lot longer than I have don't have the answer to this. But what I do know that he psalm ninety one is true, and in the midst of what we don't find to be true, we simply trust the goodness and character of god
2: that's good so i've got we're going to just go probably to right around one o'clock, just letting people know so I have a few more questions we're going to ask uh, dr. Mike here so um, trauma is trauma a specific it's kind of a question related to trauma as it pertains to suffering as well as the the enemy's role in it. So is trauma something specifically that the enemy is, you know, releasing on somebody or in Paul's case, you know, you mentioned he had trauma, but part of this was the suffering that, you know, that was, you know, he was, he was um, experiencing, but it was, it was unto the glory of God. So how do you kind of, you know, splice apart trauma versus like the enemy versus like, this is the suffering that God has for you.
1: So, When God first thought of us, it was a dream that he had for us. And so it says in Jeremiah 1 that he knew us before we were even conceived in our mother's womb. When we came out of our mother's womb, we entered into the dream of God for our lives. But we also woke up on a war zone. We woke up on a battlefield. And that battlefield is the powers of darkness that have held sway in this world, all of, the, all of this millennia, and the advancing of the kingdom of God, that's seeking to take back everything that the enemy has stolen, everything that he's killed, everything that he's destroyed of the dream of God for this earth. So there's not only the dream of God for individual lives, but there's also the dream of God for this entire earth, that God is in the process of restoring that through the advancing of the kingdom of God through his church. When Jesus talks about tribulation in John chapter 16, verse 33, I mean, if you've ever read um, Jesus called a discipleship in in, uh, in Matthew 9 and 10 or in Luke 9 and 10. What you see is Jesus saying, hey, guys, I'm calling you a sheep among wolves. You're going to go out there and people are going to hate you. Your family's going to hate you. They're, they're going to do bad things to you. They're going to bring you before the courts. All sorts of things are going to happen to you because of the fact that you represent me. What he's saying is that the powers of darkness are going to rage their anger upon you. And that's going to be part of the suffering that you encounter as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So he's saying this is because you're part of a, an army, armies get shot at. Armies go through times that they get wounded. Armies go through times that difficulty is going to happen. So it's part of the plan of us learning how to rule and reign, how to overcome. In in our identities, as it says in Romans 8, as more than overcomers, we are learning right now how to overcome the enemy. You know, when it says in in Jesus says to the disciples, when they came back from their first mission trip in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, they're talking about how the demons are subject to our name. and People are getting set free. And Jesus says, that's awesome. But give thanks to God that you're your name is, is in the book of life. And then he says, I have given you power and authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall harm you. Well, that's true. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer as you go after the powers of darkness. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have times of opposition. It does. I mean, Paul. As he, as he wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, look at all the opposition he went through that was part of the raging of the powers of darkness against him as he advanced the kingdom. So yes, all of that stuff that Paul went through was part of the raging of the powers of darkness against him. But Jesus said, yeah, it's going to be part of the suffering, but what is coming to you is nothing to be compared with with what the glory that's going to be revealed in you and through you. So don't, I guess the point that I want to make is this. All of that opposition is not part of God's perfect plan or will for this earth. It's part of the enemy's attack against the kingdom of God. But in our overcoming it, in our persevering, in our uh, persistence, In continuing to advance, God not only gets the glory, but we learn to overcome by treading over all that and keep going for the glory of God. I hope that answers your question.
2: Yeah, I think that that's helpful and almost that, that once again, seemingly contradictory thing where it's like God's allowing certain things, but he's also like there's a redemptive component in it and it's part of his plan, you know. And but I, I do think the topic of suffering is very challenging and maybe under taught, um, you know, in in certain circles. Um, so I, I think that was very helpful. Um, I have one more. Well, one Did, of the things, something else.
1: Yeah, Col One of the things that, as as I've stepped into this whole ministry of trauma, that many of you know, it was a, a divine assignment from God. It wasn't anything that I asked for. But I've had to study the whole issue of in theological circles, what's known as theodicy, T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y, as well as the whole understanding of suffering. Because you see, if you, there is, there is the perfect will of God, and then there's the permissive will of God. If you think that the perfect will of God is for you to have disease and cancer and have all these bad things happen to you, then you've got a schizophrenic God who says he loves you. But then he's going to put all this stuff on you to teach you a lesson or make you a better Christian. But if we understand that we live in a broken, fallen world, where by the very fact that we live in it, we're going to experience some suffering. But it's trusting in God in that suffering that we can overcome. For instance, uh, uh, I don't mean to take up more time, but in Acts 11, The prophet tells the apostles at Antioch that there's a famine coming. Now, they don't, it doesn't have any record that they begin to intercede against the famine or they begin to, you know, to war against it or anything like that. They say, okay, a famine's coming. What are we going to do about that? How are we going to take care of our community? What are we going to do? Understanding that as the famine comes, we're going to trust God to take care of us, but we also have practical things that we can do to ensure that we're going to be okay. And, and it's interesting. One of the things they did in, t- in preparing for the famine is they took up an offering for the church in Jerusalem, which I thought is, is pretty awesome. So that I just wanted to say, so you're right. I think we need to have more teaching on the understanding of suffering and uh, and how uh, ultimately suffering does not mean that God doesn't love you or is abandoning you. That's what I want to end with there.
2: That's really good. Um, so we're going to about to go into breakout rooms. Um, so Michael, how would you, how do you think, what are some like good practical things that we could take into those, those small groups? Like maybe there's things we can pray for one another. I know some of the questions I haven't gotten to just even relate to like practical, like coping mechanisms. Um, so how can we encourage and sharpen one another? Just even during the short time right now, where we have 15 minutes in our small groups.
1: Well, let me say this. I I think one of the brilliant things about the Church of Jesus Christ is that we have small groups like this where we can process the trauma that we've experienced. Now, it doesn't mean that you tell your whole story. doesn't mean that you, you take up the entire small group time and tell every trauma that you've been through. But actually, whatever you've got going on in your head that's plaguing you in terms of a fear or an emotion, Share that briefly within like a minute or two with your fellow small group folks and let them pray for you. I always say this. All of us got a little crazy up here. Everybody does. The question is, what's going to happen with the crazy? If it stays up here, it's actually going to drive us crazy. But if we put it out on the table with some people that we trust, we'll find out that they have crazy, too. And when they put their crazy out, we can pray for each other. And, and it really is okay. That's how we, that's how we experience intimacy in our fellowship with each other. So I would just simply say, if you have an overwhelming emotion that stems from trauma, share that briefly and then let your fellow small group people pray for you. Please don't take up all the time of the group uh, by telling your story, but just share you know what I feel really fearful right now, or I feel very anxious or I feel hopeless and and if you trust the people, you know even if you have suicidal thoughts, share that you know because having a suicidal thought, having any thoughts is not sinful, is what you do with them
2: all right, well, is that helpful yeah, yeah, I think that's great, and I think you know given uh, so we do have you know small group leaders, given the time that we have, maybe just focus on one or two people in the group that maybe have something really burning going on so we can have time to pray for those specific people. Um, But Dr. Mike, thank you uh, once again, um, just for taking this time. And I definitely feel, yeah, a lot of great application, practical things, but also like recognizing our authority and identity. Um, So we really appreciate you coming on with us today. And uh, yeah, for just the continued relationship that we have, with you. I know it's been personally such a blessing for me. And uh, yeah, we want to, we want to stay knowing who we are and uh, walking in truth. So thank you for, for leading us today.
1: I love you guys. I bless your pastoral team. I love them dearly. And uh, I'm saying to you folks that, listen, you are getting lined up for some of the greatest outpouring of the spirit of God upon New York city, like you've never seen before, because right now people are, desperately, spiritually hungry for a reality that you guys carry. So I love you and I bless you in Jesus name.
0: Amen. Thank you, Mike. So appreciate you, brother. Have a great day. You too.
2: All right. Breakout rooms are open. So if you all go into your rooms, we'll we'll have them for 15 or 20 minutes and then we'll close out. And if people want to come back here and hang out, you can. And if you need to get going, You can do that too. Bless you guys.